Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello everyone and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine so that you you and your practice can thrive, be profitable and successful for years to come. I'm very excited today about our topic of discussion, which is right in my wheelhouse, and I could talk about this for days on to end. So we're talking about revenue cycle management, and we really haven't focused on this side of healthcare consulting yet on the podcast. So we're excited to speak to the medical and dental practices out there and give you tips on how to really improve your processes under the revenue cycle management uh, space so that you're not losing step with your reimbursement efforts and that you're ahead of the curve when new information is published as coding or billing guidance that could affect your, your practice. Now, I'm excited today because with me to tackle this topic, I welcome fellow NSCHBC member, Misty Harrelson, who is the founder of Medical AR Services, LLC, a U.S.-based billing company, bringing almost 15 years of full revenue cycle management experience to the table, and Misty is also a CPC, COC, and CPMA. We both have alphabet soup after our name, so it's always fun. Misty has extensive experience in, de in detailed analysis of claims for appropriate reimbursement, and appealing claims and multi-specialties. Also, our NSCHBC member Vinny and Vinod Sankarin, CEO, founder of Medical Billing Wholesalers, who also brings 15 years of experience in operations, financial analysis, strategic planning and marketing. And also at Medical Billing Wholesalers, he's involved in applying his experience to optimize revenue cycle processes through uh, process flows to improve client profitability and performance. And then there's, of course, me, your host, and my company, Terry Fletcher Consulting Incorporated. We focus on specialty coding, billing, auditing, education in the RCM space, and I'm going on 32 years in the field. So I, I'm not feeling like the youngster here right now, boy, <laughs> girls and boys, so I'm just saying this is going to be fun. But I'm just so proud to have these uh, subject matter experts with me today and to have the roundtable discussion to really find those pain points of medical practices and hopefully arm you with some tips of the trade to ease your workflow processes in the revenue man uh, cycle management space. So Vinny and Misty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Terry. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Terry. It's a pleasure. So let's get it started off with, I, I like to look at the, since it is a cycle, we, we, you know, the RCM, and we used to call it just medical billing, and then we'd get into medical coding, and then we get into medical collections. But the, the RCM acronym of Revenue Cycle Management kind of took hold, I would say probably 10 years ago, because I'd actually never heard of it before, you know, as far as the, um, explaining what we do that way until about 10, 15 years ago. So let's start kind of when the patient walks in the door and how we can improve those flows and talking about verification, patient el eligibility, because one of the things that I've noticed is that denials kind of come from inefficiencies when it comes to verifying patient status, patient benefits, patient eligibility. And I've noticed in the hospital space, some hospitals don't even check eligibility until after the patient's left. And I understand that when it's emergent, but now with the No Surprise Act, they, they have to be a little bit more efficient. So I'm gonna throw this first one over to you, Vinny, and just you know, talk to me about in, in your kind of space and in your uh, employees that, I know you have uh, billing companies and service and uh, employees that work in the billing service. 
uh, area. How do you get this to be proficient for practices since you're on, on the third party side? Uh, so this is something uh, we've been seeing for many years, but uh, after the Affordable Care Act or the Obamacare, as people call it, we're seeing it a lot more uh, because patient deductibles and copays were very low before. So doctor practices didn't care too much about the patient balance. And I'll talk about hospitals in a minute. So patient eligibility verification was not taken that seriously. Let's talk about seven, eight years ago. Recently, it's become a, a very, very important thing. And usually practices don't know how to do it or they don't have the manpower to do it. And usually it's left for the last minute and then you know something else comes up or a patient walks in, then they forget. So we have been able to take that and do it. Uh, as a company, we've helped a lot of practices do that. Uh, two things, right? One is uh, we need all the data to be able to do the verification. Uh, many times you can do it online, which makes the process much easier. We can also automate it, it helps, but many times you end up calling uh, the insurance companies to make sure that you do the eligibility verification, especially if it is out of network. So we see that a lot and we do it. In terms of hospitals, you're absolutely right because I just had this actually personal experience. My wife was in the hospital to have a procedure and they didn't check anything. They didn't check anything and it's been almost three months and I just started getting some bills. So it is a problem. I think if we address it uh, head on and tell the practices, this is very important. It's as important as scheduling. So you want to do it two, three days in advance if you can. I'm not talking about urgent cares here. If you can do that, that'll really help. I think that's uh, something that we as consultants, as experts should uh, inform our clients to take it seriously, or we should be the ones to help them uh, do that. And I couldn't agree with you more. And, and Misty, let me ask you something. Since both of you uh, own billing services, one of the things that I would find very challenging, and Misty, you can speak to this, is when, like Vinny said, that isn't done either prior to the encounter or prior to the visit or prior to the procedure. How hard is it for a third-party billing company to get that information after the fact? I really use the payer portals. I think having access to that is extremely recommended um, when it comes to that, you know, that it's right there at your fingertips to be able to pull all that eligibility information. And I also agree with being prepared, you know, prior to that day. Um, also utilizing your EHR and or the, your RCM software. I think there's a lot of capabilities in them. And I think being able to see what your subscription, what you're paying for in the software and see if they have that capability to verify that information as well. Actually, you brought up a really good point. And um, I know, Vinny, you could speak to this too. Are payers up to date in what, on? for the most part. And what happens as far as you said, you went to their portal once you get the patient information. How up-to-date are they? I know the No Surprise Act says they have to be up-to-date, but let's face it, there's not enough people in the universe to police every insurance company. So if you don't get that from the practices that are you know, sending the patient over to you, how updated, and I'll send this to you, Vinny, how updated are those portals? It's a hit or miss. Is it? it could be all over the place. Some of them are really good, and also that depends on states because we handle uh, the whole country. So we see some good insurance companies in California, the same insurance company re are really bad in Florida or Texas. And it's all over the place, especially when it comes to out of network, when we see uh, it's even worse. And you almost always have to call the insurance company to get it. And then it's the whole time. And then you go through the whole benefits, but it has gotten better. 
you also have to look at the, the positives. And like uh, Mishri said, uh, payer portals have become better. There's a lot of uh, EMR uh, system that actually give you uh, a module. You have to pay for it usually, or they integrate with a third-party solution that helps with uh, patient eligibility. Uh, some of them are almost real-time, and it helps so We've seen some practices where 70, 75% can be almost automated with a click of a button. And that's been really helpful in making our team more efficient and they can focus on the remaining 25, 30% uh, where we actually have to call or get more information. And we see that a lot with surgery centers. You know, many times those are not enough. We still have to call. And sometimes you have to add in a prior authorization, which complicates it even more. So that's kind of where we're seeing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't even think about the surgery center aspect of that, but you're absolutely correct. And Misty, just a, a tip out there, since we're giving tips to our listeners, um, how do you feel like there there needs to be some kind of a an, a go between between the practice and the billing company, kind of a facilitator to make sure you're not calling and trying to get anybody to help you? I think open communication is very important between you know the billing company and the office. I think if everybody works together, things um, go a lot smoothly. So I think open communication for sure. Right. Well, the one thing too is I'm noticing that some of these simple errors can create definitely a negative impact. And one of the things I've noticed on the most recent patient satisfaction surveys with the payers is you you look at, they give them usually 10 to 15 questions. And <laughs> The question about how do you like your doctor is like question number 11. Now they first talked about, you know, the front desk and your experience and wait times and do they have telehealth and billing actually comes up. How was the ease in the process of your insurance? So just to our listeners out there, you know, that are involved in this space or your your practices, make sure and or your hospital, make sure that your your staff understands um, how important it is to to get this correct the first time and to hopefully, you know, you're still taking copies of cards and, and making sure that you're getting that information prior to the encounter. I couldn't agree more with, with Vinny and Misty is that prior to the encounter is really important because a patient shows up, are you willing to turn them away if they don't have the information in front of them? So this is where um, you've got to be proactive when it comes to that uh, patient information as far as from the insurance um, space there. So let me move on to some things that have happened in billing errors. And I know, again, we talk about that with patient satisfaction, but being, billing errors are tough because I've got some saying, well, it's the doctor, some saying it's the staff, some saying it's the payer. And we, we just, everybody has to work together, as Misty was saying, even with eligibility. But sometimes the billing errors can happen when information is incorrectly uh, added to the patient's profile. Um, even the CPT codes or ICD-10 codes are, are added incorrectly. Um, modifiers, oh my gosh, the, the denials I see on modifiers is crazy. For example, the 59 modifier versus the uh, X modifiers. You need to know your payers. Some payers don't recognize the X modifiers, some do, and also know that what the payers will um, allow or pay for or where the edits are. I know we talk about Medicare a lot, and that's really my space, and Medicare has a pretty clear set of guidelines for things. But then you get into commercial plans, and I'll throw this back over to you, Misty. Don't you have to have some kind of basically, I don't want to say a grid, but a really a, a good follow-up plan and something that you have in writing, knowing what multiple payers do, because nobody's consistent. 
Yes, I agree with that. I think being educated on, like Vinny had said earlier, your states, if you're dealing with, you know, multiple companies, you know, providers, offices, knowing that state, you know, having that grid of what state accepts what or what payer in that state accepts what, um, knowing your way around the payer websites, I think is extremely um extremely important. Um, I love to like research stuff. So anytime I'm on the payer website, I'm, I'm really getting to know where to find that information. So in the case there are the billing errors, I can go straight to that payer website and I can find, you know, where that information is for that billing error. Yeah. And I found, um, for example, and I, I'll just throw out the telehealth information. Oh my goodness. So we've got Medicare and everybody else. Uh, during the public health emergency. But for those of you that are even interested or considering being a part of the National Society of Healthcare Business Consultants, uh, one of our um, billing professionals, uh, Cindy Walker, she's been putting together this spreadsheet on all of the payers out there and what their plans are doing for telehealth and when things have been waived, when things have um, expired. And she started with three pages and now it's up to, I think, 40. It's ridiculous. And it's crazy to me to think that there should be somebody that's, I mean, almost in charge of just doing that research. And don't don't assume um, that, and this is, and actually, Vinny, I'm gonna throw this over to you. Don't assume that the billing company you're using is actually doing the research. You've got two experts here that they do it for their company, but you, you do, will find some companies that don't do this research they're basically data entry people and and Vinny, i'll speak or let you speak to that because i see that every once in a while do you absolutely we we do uh so we actually help a lot of different kinds of companies uh practices health systems hospitals but also billing companies and many times we see that so in terms of what you said i agree with what uh you and Misty said, we have to know the rules, right? Each payer is different and it changes. It's not like it's, you know, you have it now and they're not going to change anything for three years. It doesn't work like that, right? They could change it, especially with the public health emergency. A lot of changes happen. Like you said, I've seen what Cindy Walker put out and it keeps adding. Uh, it's definitely over 40 pages now. And each state <laughs> is different crazy. and it keeps changing. Yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> so we started document everything. We call it cheat sheets. So we work with multiple EMR systems and obviously different payers, Medicare, Medicaid, and commercials. So we try to make our employees like subject matter experts when they work on AR. So you are in charge of like three EMR practice management systems and these three commercial payers. It becomes easier to handle because you can't give everybody the rule for everything. It's, it's just impossible. We used to document it. And now we have something called the workflow platform. We call it the MBW hub. We actually put it so as they're working, they can look at it in the dual screen. If they have any questions, they just uh, refer to it. It's still a work in progress because you have to update it constantly. And you know we have a team just to do that. Even then it's overwhelming. Right, no, I, I think that's a great idea. One of the things I did change, I was in, uh, I do depositions every once in a while, and I changed the term cheat sheet to reference guide because the um, the attorneys love to jump on that. So just a little tidbit there. <laughs> that yeah, change it to reference guide or reference tool because they're like, well, who are you trying to cheat? Like, no, you don't understand. It's just a shortcut. Um, but so I, I definitely a couple years ago went, okay, reference guide, reference tools. So those of you out there, I know everybody uses them. Make sure that you just change the your your label for it because it, it definitely can come back on you at some point. 
Um, but, you know, one of the things that we were talking about, um, you know, as far as patient eligibility and verifying coverages and now looking at billing errors, you know, when, when Vinny and Misty and I were talking, when we talk about billing errors, we're not just talking about inputting information or just the ICD-10 or uh, CPT codes or coverages. You know, here's a, a big one that has come up for me, and I'm not even in the dental space. So if you are a dentist out there, I know we do have some, some dentists that are listening to our podcast, and you also perform oral surgery. You don't put that under the, the dental part of the patient's coverage. You put it under their medical part on their patient's coverage, or you're taking about a 50% reduction because it's covered on both sides. But as soon as you get into oral surgery, you're now in the space of just like a surgeon, a general surgeon. And a lot of practices had no idea. And I'm, I was actually doing an audit for this one practice. And I said, well, I'm not in the dental space, but he's like, well, I just want to use you. I'm like, okay, well, I appreciate that. I've got somebody I can refer you to, but let's look at it. And, and now apparently I'm in a little bit of the dental space, but I was noticing the oral surgery and I'm just like, why aren't you putting this on surgery? Look at the differences in coverages. And this poor, you know, dentist, he had no idea. He just said, oh my gosh, I'm certified in oral surgery and I've been taking a 50% hit forever. And then I had another one where I had a practice that they basically came to me for a question and I said, okay, so, and it was, and I want to say this, I guess in the most respectful way, because we have listeners out there and I don't want to say anybody doesn't, you know, know what they're doing or understand certain things. But when you engage, whether it be a billing service or you have your, your billing in-house or whatever you're doing, make sure not only that you have certified people, but you have people that understand your specialty. You know, I'm getting a lot of, I, one of my main specialties is cardiology. And I'll get these questions that are, should be routine to the person that understands the specialty. Misty, I'll throw this to you. You, you probably have heard this too, where somebody will say, okay, well, I want to build a heart cath with a, an intervention, a stenting or an angioplasty, and the payer never pays for it. I'm like, well, never's a long time. What are, you know, and they said, well, we just write off the heart cath. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So is it diagnostic? You have to know what that means. You know, is it, or is it routine or setting up the information? And so, Misty, do you see that in some of the specialties that, you know, you're billing out for that, you can tell that who's ever coding it is not familiar with the specialty? Yes, for sure. I think knowing, you know, where to go to get your information, have everything on hand, all your NCCI edits, you know, all the guidelines. I use Medicare, you know, all the time for like a foundation when I'm, you know, coding. So I think having all of that rightly available is good practice. It is. And, and, you know, Misty brought up a really good point the we, we call Medicare kind of the gold standard. That's kind of where we start. And then other payers will have some contract information or, um, you know, they will have some things that they'll put out for specific specialties. But when they don't have anything and just what's coming to mind is like the incident two rules with nurse practitioners. I try to use a standard that I know I have uh, published guidance and that way, if they want to know why we're doing something a certain way, even though I'm talking about a Blue Cross plan or an Aetna plan, it's because I have published guidance from the federal government. And if they do it this way, I would think that I'm probably erring on the conservative side and we'd be able to support it if we ever, you know, have that looked at. But moving on forward and talking about some of the, the pain points and the errors and things, I'm finding that this kind of leads to 
back. And, and I say this with kind of uh, empathy for anybody out there that is in the revenue cycle management space. It's a lack of training. I, I think that there's an expectation that even coders are supposed to have the clinical knowledge of a physician, and that's not fair. Um, understanding, again, the specialty that you've now been hired to do the work for. Understanding, you know, we're in a PHE versus we're not, you know, when you're not in that space. Um, understanding the EMR. Uh, I'm, I'm finding that the, the lack of training is almost setting up certain staff to, to fail. And this may be why if you have it in-house and you're finding that your collections aren't there, I would, you know, I always like to keep it in-house, but there are times when I think it's important to sub it out and outsource, but you have to also make sure that those uh, services are with people who are trained. And Vinny, I'll send that one over to you when it comes to, to training and making sure that everyone's updated on new codes, um, not just CPT, but ICD-10, HixPix, because mm -hmm. remember, remember, you know, you both have been in this space forever. Remember how CPT only updated once a year, and now you're noticing, especially with the vaccines, they're updating, like, it seems like every quarter, every week. Right. It was once a year. That's what it was for many, many years. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a coder. I know both of you are, so I'm not going to dive too much into coding, but we have a whole team, and everybody is certified in multiple names after their name, just like the both of you, and they keep reading all the time, and they tell me that, uh, things are constantly changing. I see it uh, in just in our Calisto. We see all these emails. Some I understand, some I don't. If it gets really technical in coding, I back away and let the experts handle it. Uh, but I'm seeing so. In terms of training, you're absolutely right. Right, like I mentioned before, training is very important. So you can't train everybody on everything, right? So when you mentioned something about dental space, so we don't handle dental and eye stuff, but when it falls in the medical side, we will. And we've seen a lot of dentists do exactly what you said before. So the medical, so everything is about training. It starts from the doctor's office, front office staff, and then to the RCM staff, which is kind of what we do. So we have really like in-school training. So we train them on the basics, and then whatever they're going to do. And before we start with any client, we have to discuss the scope of work. What are they responsible for? What is our team responsible for? And what we can and we can't do. There are some things that we need an okay from the doctor, so that's on them. And other things we can do, you know, like in denials, uh, following up, coding appeals, a lot of things that we do on a daily basis, we become much more efficient than the practice because they're handling one and two a month, we're doing hundreds a month. So it, it makes it so training is very, very important, be it uh, on the procedure process flow, be it the EMR practice management system, uh, the payer rules, everything comes down to training and, uh, you know, knowledge. Yes, it does. And, and you've actually brought up something kind of interesting um, when it comes to training. So you know, when we talk about training, we're not just saying how to code. We're not just saying, you know, how to procedural code CPT or how to capture ICD-10 codes that even though that is uh, very important because that translates from what the providers have done, what the hospitals have done, what the facilities done into billable services. But there's also pieces of the revenue cycle management and that in that department that requires training for compliance. There's regulations that change frequently. Um, there's policy updates with payers that change frequently. And I really like what, you know, Vinny said, where he has people that are in charge of certain 
um, payers. I, I actually was talking to a practice recently and they don't have an EMR. They're still on paper. I almost, my head almost exploded. Um, I can see Misty's head's exploding, even though I can't see her right now, but it was, it was still on paper and they were on the East coast and basically they were getting denials and getting requests for records because they had illegibility issues. And I just haven't seen that in 20 years because of EMR EHR services. But the other thing that I get a lot is that people are getting their information off Facebook. They're saying, well, I get my codes off Facebook. I just put it out there to a coding person. And I'm like, oh, oh boy. Wow. And oh, do you see that, Vinny? I mean, I, you know, I even had somebody saying that, well, my doctor won't buy me my code books. And so I'm using something from 2015. And I don't know if either of you see that, but Vinny, I'll, I'll send it to you first. And then Misty, I'll have you follow up there. Sure. I have seen it a couple of times, not mostly from the staff, but, you know, some doctors are the doctors who think they know everything. Sometimes there is a problem because they want to do the coding. Everything should flow to them. They kind of the micromanagers. So sometimes they've seen that uh, over the years, not as much, but I have seen it a couple of times and they don't update their books. They're like, we have a book what's going to change is the same human body that's their approach to it and that's a problem that is a problem and and misty have you ever gotten you know charges or anything from one of your clients and then all of a sudden you're looking it up in your cpt book that's current by the way <laughs> and you're like wait a minute that's code doesn't exist anymore yes absolutely and even icd-10 codes you know the claim will deny and it's like well it's an old diagnosis code so yes i have definitely seen that it's like, okay, well, did you know that this code got an extra digit uh, three years ago? <laughs> I, <laughs> I actually had one recently, and this was actually kind of scary to me where I had a practice and it was a new administrator and, and they had they just kind of cleaned house. And the staff basically said something like, well, we're trying to get our consults paid to Medicare and Medicare is not paying them. I'm like, well, in 2010, <laughs> Medicare stopped paying or recognizing consult codes. And I was like, wow, oh, this is 2022. So what are what are um, basically our messages here is you have to train your staff, be updated and staff includes physicians. We love our doctors because obviously we wouldn't have jobs without them. But make sure you also give them the tools, you know, the, the updated code books, the policy information, if they're asking for it, even if they're not send out a memo, make sure that, you know, they understand that. And then I want to move on a little bit because we could talk about, gosh, errors all forever. But one of the things that also needs to be updated, and this is, I mean, this is where Vinny impresses me because I am not IT savvy. I can get by. I understand the, the certain things in the information technology space, but there's a lot of IT now that is part of the patient experience. I mean, we've got robotic surgeries, we've got electronic health records, and now they're even trying to getting, you know, I know, noticed a lot more doing a computer assisted coding, um, financial arrangements, a lot of that is just through the, um, the IT process. So when you have an outdated system from uh, IT or you're not updating or getting your updates, even for your EMR, how does that affect people, Vinny? I know that's, that's a problem as well right now. Yes, yes, it is. So what do you want? Uh, technology is growing pretty fast. You know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, we didn't have EMRs, right? A lot of paper, they were scanned. Uh, I remember building companies used to go and physically pick up the papers. There was fax. 
then it became email. EMRs changed a lot of that, right? So with that, uh, you're saying from the patient side, the doctors are using robotics uh, to help them with surgery, which is great. I got my LASIK surgery. It was totally automated. It was kind of creepy, but that's how it happened. And I haven't worn glasses. I haven't worn glasses in twelve years, so that was good. So in terms, and it's it's moved on, right? Every different one. So a lot of doctor practices using, uh, uh, you know, automatic check in. You can they give you an iPad. You can do it in your house, or when you walk in, instead of papers, just you know, all your stuff, uh, privacy statements. Uh, Anything that you need to sign, you can do it on an iPad. That way, you don't. There's no paper. It's much easier. Things like that. Also, on the RCM side, with EMRs, there's a lot of third-party integrations. Uh, I just spoke about RPA and AI in Revenue Cycle, and it's picking up a lot. We are actually working with a bunch of uh, AI-based uh, coding companies, and they're doing a pretty decent job. So I would say about 65-70% of I'm talking about hospital emergency department coding and stuff are automated by AI and we just have somebody review it and 99% they are great. The 30, 35% that gets kicked out is done by a human. So we are seeing a lot of technology in this space. And uh, with this, cybersecurity is also very, very important because as technology improves, there's always somebody going to try to hack and there's going to be a breach and data breach. So both come side by side. There's a lot of protection you need to make sure that that doesn't happen because once something like that happens in in the news, you lose credibility, be it a billing company, be it a hospital, a practice, you know, data is uh, sacrosanct and you need to keep it uh, safe. That's true. And you actually brought up a, a really good point. You know, when the reason I brought up IT is because I think sometimes IT moves so much faster than medicine does sometimes. And so we really have to um, mm. kind of keep up with the Joneses, if you will, you know, on the, in the IT space, but also making sure that you can interface with certain uh, systems as well. You know, right now there's a, a big controversy on pr- prior authorization. Now, I know Misty, you probably deal with that a lot with the pre-authorizations and you're, you're waiting for that to happen and, and just not getting there because of certain IT, you know, um, incompatibilities. Um, yeah, I would like to add, you know, doing your due diligence on acquiring a software, uh, make sure that it can handle all of your office duties and if they're legit. Um, a lot of the EMR, EHR, EHR systems are delivering on a promise that's not delivered. Um, So, for example, accuracy on claim submissions or capabilities of the system or even the privacy and security with HIPAA. So I think just doing your due diligence on, you know, the progression to the IT department is a good idea. Yeah, and you brought up a really good point. You know, really make sure that if you've purchased an IT system, if you purchased an EMR, you know, hold them to the contract, hold them to what they promise that they will do. Now, I just want to kind of wrap this up in the in the kind of not the final part of RCM because I know we've kind of taken it through the cycle. But you know, when we talk about denials on the back end, uh, who's handling that? Uh, one of the things I, I love that that Vinny said and and Misty agreed was that you need to have experts in the payer. You really do. I'm still seeing practices that are telling staff, well, you handle you know A through D and you handle. Um, you know, E through L, and, and that's not the way to do it. You need to have experts in the payer because if a physician comes back to you and says, hey, 
is this covered and it's a Blue Cross plan, they know the point person to go to. It's not being an expert in what every single different patient is and our volumes have increased. It's what a particular payer does because now you know how to handle a denial. And I know that we are doing everything electronically and trying to really um, integrate a lot of things in the digital space, but you also need to make sure that if you've sent a denial a reconsideration letter or anything like that, that you've taken a copy of it, that you have it in a compliance manual or something, so you're not reinventing the wheel every time. And a lot of time there are some uh, manual efforts there, but you know, patients are now requesting cost estimates, you know, under the No Surprise Act. And we have to make sure that we can tackle not just denials, but authorizations and, and a lot of things that we're doing um, on the back end. And these are high volume transactions with people who are specifically tasked with the, the denial management. And, you know, that that's something that I'm seeing that there isn't somebody that wants to handle it. It seems like they're like, no, you do it. No, you do it. And, you know, Vinny, how do you handle that within your staff? Uh, that's, that's, that's a great question, Teddy. So many times, I'll just start with the practices and come back to what we do. So many of times the practices, right, uh, a person in the office is doing multiple things. There's a doctor asking them something, they're on the phone, there's a patient standing right in front of them, and they have to follow up on denials or call the, the insurance company. It's not all possible. And like you said, you know, uh, patients, especially in hospitals, are asking for cost estimates. So their workload has just gone up. And with everything that is going on with labor shortage and remote work, nobody actually wants to work face-to-face. -face. It's getting much tougher. So a lot of them, even if they have a uh, in-house billing team in hospitals or large practices, it's great that they talk to a billing company who can help them and be like an extension of their team. So if they have five, 10 people doing billing, but they need actually 15, 20, talk to a company. They can help. There's a lot of companies that can help them clean up. So in our case, we have like silos. Each department is split. We have coding departments and they are split by specialties, right? You can be an expert on all specialties as coders, you both I already know that. So similarly, we have the charge entry team, payment posting, denial team, AR follow. One team only follows up on the website and the other one only does phone calls. That way we make it more efficient. And then we have the hub which tracks everything. So there's IT involved and there's a lot of tracking and there's quality control on the site to check to make sure that everybody is doing their productivity and quality as needed. So everything has to move together. And if it doesn't, Trust me, the clients call us and tell us, so we know. <laughs> you get, you definitely get that that uh, that yelling from the background. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. No, I can understand that. And Misty, um, to you, are, are do you have the same processes or similar to to what Vinny was saying? Yes, it's it's pretty much uh, the exact same thing. I mean, I I would say like invest in your RCM department. Make sure that everybody knows you know, what their job description is, what they should be focusing on, where to go to get the information, because the denials are your last chance to receive the reimbursement. And you want trained and educated staff handling this. I specialize, I mean, I have some specialties, but I like love general surgery. Like that is my absolute favorite specialty. And you ask me really anything on general surgery and I can kind of, you know, spit it out and say, this is, you know, this is why it denies. And knowing like your denial reasons you know, know what the remark code says, you know, having an EHR system, 
Um, I've worked through a lot of EHR systems, and there's some that are very, very simple, and you have to go search for the EOB and find this, and it's a lot easier when you have an EHR system that has everything right at your fingertips, you know, to have that denial reason detailed out with the remark code to know what my next step is to do the denial process or send an appeal. Right. And I agree with you. I'm, I'm noticing, too, that many practices are investing in, you know, the, the electronic health record, but not the management system side of it. And you, you really have to make sure you've got a good system there because this is your reimbursement. This is your bottom line. And it's just so important. And what I'm seeing, I just saw a post recently on LinkedIn. I think it was yesterday. You know, Vinny brought up the thing about remote working. It's not just the staff, your staff, the medical staff and the the billing staff or your central billing office. It's the payer staff. Um, I saw two companies. Uh, one was United Healthcare, and I don't remember the other one. But it was another payer, but they basically said we are letting our leases go on two thirds of our brick and mortar, um, you know, services so that we can give our staff be all remote. Well, try to get a hold of a payer nowadays, and it's really tough. And so it's really important to have a dedicated person that's really working on these as well. And they understand that payer because getting a hold of them when they were in the office was one thing, but now they're remote too. And I remember I was calling a payer doing a denial for a client and I heard the docking, the barking dog and the, the baby in the background. And then the payer finally said, she goes, I don't have time for this right now and just hung up on me. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is a payer. So, yeah. it, it, you know, do you see that, Vinny, every once in a while? Yes, yes. Oh we see gosh. that. We see that in uh, multiple stuff. So we do a lot of credentialing follow-up uh, for companies that, you know, handle it and the follow-up calls. So everything that was taking 45, 60 days is taking 90 plus days for the same reason because they are remote and they're not getting back to us. Many times we can't reach the people, but it's also with other things when we call up or for denials. Uh, the whole times, which are 15, 20 minutes, is becoming 40, 45 minutes. And that is if you're lucky to get somebody see before, if you were nice and you talk to them, instead of giving you a status on three claims, they would give you six and 10. Nowadays, to just get them is tough and they're not in a good mood. It's it's changed a lot over the last two years and not oh, for man. the better, especially from the payer side. They're making a lot more money by not having these offices and leases, letting them work remote. Their employees are happy, but they're not as productive. Even before they were not very productive, now it's a voice. It is, it is a mess, and, and I agree. And that's why, you know, again, going back to that IT information, what Misty was, was talking about too, and, and what Vinny agreed with, is making sure you're also utilizing their websites, utilizing the information that you can get from, um, you know, an IT perspective. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up, and just to, to kind of recap here, just make sure when we're talking about the revenue cycle management that you have people that understand the eligibility process, that there's somebody there that knows how to make sure that they're verifying what the patient's benefit and, and, and eligibility is uh, prior to coming in. Uh, billing errors, watch those simple errors, just in data entry, in coding errors, just making sure that, you know, incomplete documentation, that can lead to a large number of claim denials and you really want to make sure that you're not in that space. Understanding, you know, the coverage, like I mentioned, the, the dental versus the surgical or understanding the specialty is important. Train your staff. You need to train your staff, and lack of training can definitely lead to, to more uh, erroneous um, information being put into your system. Make sure you're updated on your IT, and then have experts in the revenue cycle management 
um, space. Make sure you've got somebody that knows about a certain payer that knows how to handle a denial because that'll, you know, you're going to need that in the future. And those are the people that you're going to need to continue to rely on. So I would like to thank both Misty Harrelson and Vinny Sankran for their expertise today and joining me on our Revenue Cycle Management Roundtable discussion. Listeners, I hope you found it helpful. You can find Vinny or Misty and their contact information on the NSCHBC website at Find a Consultant. You can just type in a first name. You can find me there as well. And uh, it just comes up for you. So. We hope that uh, you reach out if you have any questions or need services in this space. We'd be happy to help you. So that's it for us today, everyone. Please join me next month when I speak with fellow NSCHBC member Mark Lyon on physician and dental retirement planning. And now it's really time to start planning for the future. So until next time, I'm Terry Fletcher. Everyone, make it a great day and a great rest of your month. And thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.